In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I probably heard that hymn a hundred times in my life. I've never heard the fierce wild beast growl uh, in the middle of the hymn. I didn't even know we had a bear stop on the the organ. It's pretty awesome. You know, as I read our passage from Ephesians this week, I, uh, I couldn't help but think of hitchhikers. You probably thought the same thing when, uh, when it was read just a minute ago. Hitchhikers. You know, you don't see many hitchhikers these days anymore. I'm not sure why that is. I think probably because the economy is good or cars don't break down as much. We have Uber. Um, but, you know, things that we have also because we don't trust each other as much. I mean, things that used to seem sort of adventurous now seem unbearably uh, dangerous. But, you know, it just kind of that iconic uh, picture of the, the cool hitchhiker, you know, thumbing their way across the country. So it just always seemed so cool, carefree. Um, I've never really seen a hitchhiker that seemed cool and carefree. They seemed sort of, I don't know, surly. Um, but but I, uh, I have only, that I can remember, I've only hitchhiked once. And uh, after college, I lived in Colorado for a season, and I was involved in a church, and we went on a mission trip to Texas. And somewhere in the middle of the night on a back road in New Mexico, our van broke down. And, uh, and so a, a few of us left the van. We walked down this back road and this giant 18-wheeler uh, came by and we jumped, you know, jumped around with our flashlights and thumbed the ride. And he pulled over and we jumped in the cab and he was very nice. Um, uh, I don't remember what he looked like. It was dark, but there were, I do remember the skull on, on the dash, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, it was, uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't real, but uh, he, he took us, it was before cell phones, he took us to the nearest, uh, the nearest phone booth and we called the guy who we'd rented the van from. I do not remember how we got back. I, I guess we must have hitchhiked again, but uh, I just remember the skull truck. I don't know, that's, uh... but you know, it, the thing about hitchhiking is that you get picked up right where you are. You get picked up right where you are. There's not some big interview from the driver, you know, why aren't you further along down the road than you are? You know, why don't you have your own car? You just, they pick you up and you go. You don't stay there. That would be creepy, right? If you got in their car and they just stayed staring at you, that would be strange. But they take you in their own vehicle towards where you want to go. Well, today is All Saints Day. Uh, It is uh, the day where we are remembering not just a few holy people throughout the centuries, but we are remembering that gospel cry to all of us, that we are all saints. We certainly are remembering those who have uh, passed away that we love and they're dear, but that is the real message of all saints, that by God's grace, He has declared us all saints. doesn't mean we're all holy and perfect, of course that's Far from true, but it means that Jesus Christ picked us up right where we were, that there was no judgy interview, aren't you further along than you are? He just picked us up in the vehicle of his own grace, and yet he is not leaving us where he found us. He's not leaving us where he found us. He is moving us forward. We're all hitchhikers. Spiritually speaking, we're all hitchhikers. You may be cool or carefree. You may be surly. You may drive an 18-wheeler with a skull on the dash. You may be Kanye West. But Jesus picks us up right where we are, wherever we are. 
And praise God, he will not leave us there. This is the story that St. Paul tells in our passage from Ephesians. Now, we could actually spend weeks on this passage, and many preachers have. But at its most basic, the passage tells us the glorious story of salvation and sanctification. Salvation and sanctification. Those are our two points for this sermon this morning. Salvation. Episcopalians, we don't really talk a lot about salvation, about being saved, saved from God's judgment, saved from our sins. We kind of sometimes leave that to a few other denominations. But the truth is, that kind of language is all throughout our Book of Common Prayer. Sort of the the red book in the pew, that's our sort of... um, um, a galvanizing, a common ground book, the Book of Common Prayer. And that language is all through there. And it's all through the Book of Common Prayer because it's all through the Bible. Uh, and so talk of salvation does not belong to one denomination or one type of Christian. Salvation is the banner over all Christians, over all of us. In fact, the name of our parish is, of course, our Savior, our very existence. Uh, we are proclaiming that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. If you're looking at Ephesians in the bulletin, about the fourth line down, Paul says this, in him, that's Jesus, in Jesus, you, the Ephesians, the Gentiles he's writing to, in him, you, uh, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and number two, when you had believed in him, the result of that transaction, that belief transaction, is that you were marked with the very seal of the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. First, you heard the gospel. You heard it. You didn't make it up. It came to you from outside yourself. Maybe your grandmom told you when you were little about the gospel. Maybe your college roommate told you uh, on you know one Sunday morning after a tough Saturday night. Maybe you've been in church all your life, but just one Sunday, it clicked like it had never clicked before. I have a friend who was an atheist, ardently, and he thought it would actually be funny to read a book that he saw called The Gospel According to Peanuts. It's, you know, the little Snoopy Charlie Brown. So he was a, the Gospel According to Peanuts. So he sat down in a California coffee shop, read the book, and walked out of the coffee shop a believing, convinced Christian. Uh, that was his story. There are as many stories about how the gospel message was actually heard as there are the number of Christians. Uh, we're not just hearing the words in our ears, but, but hearing it in the soul, right? Hearing uh, with a spiritual comprehension. You heard it and it grabbed you. It took hold of you. It probably, when, when your faith became real to you, it wasn't like a rational decision as so much as it just sort of happened to you. It, it clicked. Maybe it clicked very quickly for you. or Maybe it happened over a long period of time. But the good news wasn't just interesting, it was suddenly saving, right? It wasn't uh, suddenly that Jesus didn't just die for sins, but Jesus died for your sins. Suddenly there was no reason to be suspicious about the reality of resurrection or to be suspicious about uh, the forgiveness of God or the love of God. You heard the gospel. And number two, you believed it. You believed it. Now, in our culture, we think of belief mostly in terms of like mental assent, right? We, we, when someone says, do you believe in God? They, what they mean is, do you believe that God exists? 
right? It's, it's sort of mental. But in the Greek culture of St. Paul's day, uh, they thought of belief primarily in terms of trust. So when someone said, do you believe in God? What they meant was, do you trust in God? Do you trust in God? Uh, do you believe in God the way a rock climber believes in the rope that she's hanging from? A thousand feet up, right? You better believe in that rope. And that's what St. Paul means by belief. You heard it and you believed the gospel. And that's what, and what Paul says happens when you heard it and you believed it is that God has set his seal on you. He has marked you with his Holy Spirit. Now, what we're doing today, when we're going to baptize five people, we're going to say that uh, they, uh, at least for a couple of them who are uh, of age to say they believe this, they, that theirs is um, to say that they believe that the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. And even for the children that we're going to baptize, we're going to say that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and you are marked as Christ's own forever. God is making a promise over them that he will always be with them, never leave them or forsake them. Um, you're sealed, you're marked, you're defined as Christ's own forever. That's salvation. Uh, we may have once been marked by something else, defined by depression or addiction. Maybe by, marked by the pressure to succeed or the pressure to live up to expectations. Marked by feelings of guilt or regret. We may have been marked as almost or as not quite or as too much or as always one thing or another. We may have been defined as too fat or too pretty or too nerdy or too stuck up or at being too much one thing on the outside but another thing on the inside. Any number of things which once defined you, marked you, whether in your own eyes or in the eyes of someone else. But Jesus met you right where you were, picked you up, put you in the vehicle of His own grace, and now you're marked by Him. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit and mark as Christ's own forever. We're all hitchhikers, but now we're loved. We're justified. We're forgiven. We're in Christ, and Christ is in you. God has taken up residence within you. The Holy Spirit has been given to you, Paul says, as a guarantee. Now that word guarantee means a down payment. In other words, it is a, just a partial deposit of the promised full payment which is to come when we see him face to face, right? Now, if by uh, some situation you don't, you're not sure you know that it's clicked yet for you, you're not really sure Jesus has picked you up where you are, then please come and talk to me about that. Come and talk to Father Trent about that. We would love to talk with you about Jesus, but we, are not, but we are given salvation. We're picked up right where we are, but we're not given salvation and then left alone till heaven. As if God says, thank you so much for accepting me as your Savior. I will see you in 80 years when you die. That is not what God says. He has, remember, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, or I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, Paul is celebrating the Ephesians' salvation, but he is praying for their sanctification. He's praying for their sanctification. Now, sanctification is a term uh, that, to talk about how we grow in Christ. 
how we mature in our faith, how Jesus forms us throughout our lives in his image. He's picked us up, but he's not going to leave us where he found us, right? So Paul tells the Ephesians he's praying for them. He's praying for their moving forward, for their maturing in Christ. He's praying that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and that he would reveal himself to them that they would know him, that they would know him, that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Now, there's more we could focus on uh, about that, but everything that comes after that part, about the eyes of their heart being enlightened, everything that comes after that hinges on that beautiful phrase. So we're going to sit right there. The eyes of their heart uh, is to be enlightened. What does that mean? Well, in this context, the heart is really the way they understand the world. It's not the beating muscle in their chest, but it's, it's more like your worldview, right? It's your, your heart, is your, biblically speaking, is your most dedicated commitments intellectually and emotionally. And Paul is praying that the way they see things, the way they see the world, the way they react to the world, the, the seat of their understanding and their emotions, that it would be infused and trained by the light of Christ. Let me ask you something. In your relationship with Jesus, does Jesus tend to see the world the way you do? Or is the way you view the world shaped by the way Jesus views the world? I mean, who tends to take the lead in that relationship? I got to tell you, I, I don't know about you, I can be a tough nut to crack, personally. Not intellectually so much, but emotionally. Uh, sometimes I feel beholden to my emotions. They just kind of feel like they kind of happen to me as a response of what's happening around me, and especially uh, anger. You know, I just kind of angry, and I just re- react. You know, I just I feel like I have I sort of just have to do or say whatever my anger makes me do, like I like it's my master or something. Am I alone in that? Everybody's spouse is going. No, you're not. What would happen if the eyes of our heart were enlightened through the light of Christ? What would happen to our family relationships or our work relationships or our friendships uh, or just our relationship with ourselves? What would happen if Jesus was shining his light on how we react to disappointment or how we react to other people's differing opinions? What would happen if Jesus was shining his light on how we judge others or on our grudges, on our ambition, our greed, our selfishness, our anger? I mean, it's a beautiful phrase. We have the eyes of our heart enlightened, but it, man, it'll mess with you if you drill down on it. This is sanctification. We're being formed in the places of our lives that are not like Christ into the image of Christ, by the hand of Christ, for the glory of Christ. That's sanctification. It's not a matter of getting better. It's not a matter of uh, of honing a skill or practicing. It's a matter of becoming like Jesus for the glory of Jesus. It's a matter of letting Jesus do His work in us and through us. Sanctification isn't really something we do. It's something that is done to us. Something we receive. So how do we make ourselves available to this? 
I'll tell you, it's a little anticlimactic. It's pretty simple. We read the Bible. We say our prayers. We come to worship. We serve others joyfully. And then we read our Bible. And we say our prayers. And we come to worship. And we serve others joyfully. And then we read our Bible. And we say our prayers. And we come to worship. And we serve others joyfully. We don't do these things to satisfy Jesus and check off the boxes. We don't, we don't do them to earn his favor. We do them to draw near to Jesus. We, we do them because he's already given us his favor. He picked us up where we are. He picked us up to move us forward. Right? We draw near to Jesus because he's our joy. So that we draw near to Jesus so that he must increase and we must decrease. We're all hitchhikers. But he's given us a ride. By his grace, he has declared us all saints. Amen? Amen. Amen.